This episode of the Internal Comms Podcast is brought to you by my very own Friday Update. Would you like to get a short email from me, never more than five bullet points long, giving you my take on the week's news from across the world of communication? This might be the latest reports, books, podcasts, conferences, campaigns that have caught my eye during the week. I always limit myself to just five nuggets of news so you can read it in record time, but still feel hopefully a little bit more informed, maybe even a little bit more uplifted as you end your week. Now, this is a subscriber only email, which was initially intended just for colleagues and clients. I don't post this content anywhere else. So you do need to sign up, but that's super easy. Simply go to abcom, abcowm.co.uk forward slash Friday and just pop in your email address. It's equally easy to unsubscribe at any time. So give it a try. That sign up page again, abcom, abcowm.co.uk forward slash Friday. And thank you very much if you do choose to be a subscriber. Hello and welcome to the Internal Comms Podcast with me, Katie McCauley. This is a show all about improving the way we communicate at work. Each episode, I invite a guest to sit in my hot seat, a comms practitioner, consultant, author, business leader. Often, my guests are household names in the world of communications, but diversity is important. And one of the joys of hosting this show is bringing you a new voice, a fresh, thoughtful perspective that you might otherwise not get to hear. And this week is exactly that. My guest is Lily Goodman D'Amato. Now, when I first heard Lily speak about her approach to employee comms, she was senior content and communications manager at Paris Baguette, the global bakery chain with more than 3,000 cafes around the world. I think it's fair to say that I only meet a few people each year who started their communications career by working in one of their organisation's frontline customer-facing roles. But that is exactly where Lily started. And you can hear throughout this conversation how this first-hand experience infuses her approach to communication. We talk about how to tap into the motivation and energy of entry-level workers. We talk about what to communicate to employees on their very first day with your company. We talk about the daily reality for most line managers and about Lily's current role as delivery trainer at the digital pharmacy Medley in the US. How do you design and deliver effective training materials for your employees? Lily brings tremendous empathy, energy, and modesty to this conversation, which made it really delightful. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Lily, thank you so much for appearing on the Internal Comms podcast. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. Now, when I was preparing for this show, 
and listeners will know, I do like to do as much research as I can. I found a clip of you singing on YouTube. Oh, oh my, my goodness. goodness me. What a powerhouse voice. I'm just wondering, I think singing, possibly acting was your first love. How has that, if it has, that theatre background informed your approach to communications? Sure. Well, first, I'm wholly embarrassed, but thank you for the compliment. <laughs> um, <laughs> so theatre was my first love, specifically musical theatre. That was the first intention of career, though I ended up making a change, which ended up being for the better. And it brought me here, which I'm very grateful and, and humbled for sure. Theater is about connection, right? And listening and getting out of people what you want, right? So if I'm acting in a scene with you, there's an objective. Anytime you have a conversation with somebody, there's an objective, right? Even if it's just asking about the weather, you're, there's subtext, there's other things. And so where theater really connects with communication for me is I have studied people for so long that I understand how to get what I want out of them. And in sometimes very subtle ways that they don't see coming, which can help me have their guard down so that I know how to go in and get them the information they need, knowing that they'll connect with it. How much of that do you think is personality and how much of it can be learned or taught, do you think? That's an interesting question. At the at the sake of sounding arrogant, I do think a lot of it is is personality and attitude. I do have a love of people. I have a strong sense of empathy, which I think comes from being an artist and have growing up that way. But I do think that if you can really learn to actively listen and have the emotional intelligence to pick up on body cues, especially now in this you know, Zoom age through Zoom is very important, right? What are they saying? What aren't they saying? Yes. Um, these are things that you can learn and develop. But of course, having a base of being brought up that way also very much helps. I first heard you speak on the Drip podcast, and I'll make sure the link is in the show notes. Great podcast hosted by Brian Landau, who's been on the show. Back then you were at Paris Baguette. And just for listeners who may be not based in North America, an American cafe chain with, I think, 80 locations across 11 states, something like that. Yeah, they've probably grown even more and, and they're based out of Korea. So there's 3000 locations there. It's just that I was with the North American wow. market. Yeah. What was interesting to me is that you had, I think, around 10 years experience in the restaurant business before taking on that comms role. And I'm just wondering how that hands-on, real-life, lived experience, we would call it now, wouldn't we? How did that inform your approach to creating internal comms at Paris Baguette? You know, I started as a server. So I, I started on the ground floor. And then once my, you know, I was acting and auditioning and all of that in New York City. And then once the dream kind of changed, I grew into management. And then I grew into corporate training. That's kind of the trajectory, but really it's, if you can remember what it's like to be on the ground floor of a company, you will better naturally connect with the people you're trying to communicate with because you understand their language, right? You understand what makes them tick, you understand what makes them frustrated, and you understand their day-to-day, -day. and so that helps in two ways. One, it helps with communicating, right? Just basic communication. I know what will connect with you. 
The second piece is I understand what I can put on them and what I can't because I understand Mm -hmm. their workload and their day-to-day. Is there a way of imitating that experience? So if you can't get that hands-on experience, is there another way of getting that insight into the people actually doing the day-to-day work, do you think? If you can, I understand that a lot of people are working remotely and things like that, maybe even across the world now that we can work remotely. If you can invest your time for a week, two weeks, however long possible to spend training in the frontline manager role or even sometimes the base entry-level roles, that will give you everything you need. Because Mm. from an office, home office, corporate office, whatever, there's only so much you can understand about what comes up. So I've found that frequently to help with efficiencies, I've been asked and I have done, or the instinct is make a checklist. Let people know exactly what they need to do all day. And you see the checklist and you're like, oh, that's fine. That's doable, right? but you're not considering all the other things that come up throughout the day. An unhappy customer, your refrigerator goes down, and these checklists end up breeding more checklists and you end up with resentment, right? From the field to the corporate, knowing there's that underlying feeling that I've felt at many companies that corporate, which is a term I don't love using when I'm a part of it because I don't see myself that way, but corporate is so out of touch from the day-to-day and so that trust that feeling of we're one team and we're here to support you as the corporate office goes away and you more feel like an authoritarian, out-of-touch king trying to tell you what to do, thinking you know better when they've never done it themselves. So if you can't afford that investment of time and going to a location and and doing that, because I understand that we all have obligations and KPIs and all of that, Find time to get one-on-ones with those frontline managers and really talk to them about their day and what they go through and what's going well, what doesn't go well, how can I help? Those are three questions that will make somebody feel so heard. What's going well, what's not going well, and how can I help? I love that. They'll feel supported in a way that they wouldn't otherwise if you're just helping them with a checklist. I love that. And I had never thought before, and I don't know why I've never thought before, actually trying to do some of the training that they have to go on, as you said, because you're doing more than observing in that situation. You're actually trying the job on for yourself, aren't you? And you're, as you say, you're really uh, experiencing the pressure points and the pain points of that. Right. And in my experience with bakeries and coffee shops, you know, it's easy to say, like, I can learn how to make a cappuccino, no problem. But can you make a cappuccino when you're working on one machine out of three and you've got the busy breakfast rush and you've got four call outs and the dishwasher breaks and X, Y, Z happens? You're never just making a cappuccino. You're doing all these other things. And so you've got these really heady, well-educated, and very smart people making assumptions about what it takes to do that. And when you have that attitude, it feels condescending, right? I was never a dumb server. I'm college educated. I was working toward other things, right? And so if you don't make those assumptions about entry-level team members and frontline managers, you will end up communicating so much better naturally that the written materials will kind of write themselves because you know what's going on and you know how to connect. 
you'll have a vision of a real person in front of you that you're communicating with, which is yeah, so powerful. Correct. Absolutely. Let's turn a little bit to the tactics. I'm particularly keen to hear a little bit more about your approach to really engaging with these busy frontline customer facing employees. Can you tell us about the gatekeeper, which I believe back then for Paris Baguette was your weekly newsletter? Who was the gatekeeper aimed at and what was its primary objective? Sure. The gatekeeper was for weekly operational announcements. So the newsletter went to everybody in the company because, it, again, it's always good for your support team or your corporate team to know what's going on. But it was meant for both the company-owned operators as well as the franchise operators because we were dealing with both communities there. And it was to very simply tell the team what's changing and what they need to do about it. So each communication was written as what you need to know and what you need to do. And that's it. Because if you're writing this flowery story, they don't have time for that. And it's overwhelming. You have, and the other piece of it was, and part of my role as the gatekeeper, because I more compiled the information and then wrote it out in in a clearer way than I was creating content in this case. And so if we ended up with something like five changes in a week, I would be the one to say, hence gatekeeper, hey, this is too much for this week. Do you think we can push Mm. this to next week or the week after? Or understanding that there's a menu change coming up, we probably want to have some light gatekeepers leading up to that so that they're not, again, washed over with heavy week, heavy week, then super heavy week. So it's a matter of controlling it not controlling. It was a matter of curating the content and the information and having somebody there advocating for the field, knowing if they receive this message like this, it's not going to go well. And being super respectful with people's time in that way, which is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also how many times have you written a kind of lengthy email knowing no one was going to read it? We're in an era of TLDR, too long, didn't read. And so if you just create a newsletter that's fully too long, didn't read, you're going to be more likely to get some action from what you need versus explaining the background and why all these people made these decisions and why did we choose cucumber as the seasonal vegetable? (laughs) They don't care. They just need to know, what what do I need to know? There's cucumber being added to the menu. And what do I need to do? Here are the preparations and the new recipes. And And train your team. That's it. We had a guest on this show called Steve Crescenzo, who is amazing. And he talked about how often in communications, we're writing for the approver rather than the audience. And you've just given a great example of why you should always write for the audience. That's very well put. You know, it's it's not yeah. about your VP or your director level. It is about the people you're writing for. I really like that. Yeah, he's, it, was, it was a great episode. Again, links in the show notes. Do you have any advice for building a great relationship and really engaging line managers? And I ask this because I think I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm in fact, I'm involved in loads of conversations at the moment about line managers. And I think it's because the last two years, whether you're literally working physically on the front line or you have the luxury in some ways or privilege to work 
at home in a hybrid way, line managers, we're putting a lot on line managers to kind of involve, engage teams at the moment. And we're really seeing the importance of line managers. But at the same time, they can have a lot on their shoulders. Sorry, that's a very long question. (laughs) But I'm wondering if you've got any help, sort of tips or advice for really engaging that critical community. Get to know them, whether you can do that in person and work beside them or scheduling one-on-ones to really hear them out, regardless of if you're their supervisor or not. Giving them that attention and giving them your ear will mean the world. And if they're making decisions where you don't necessarily agree or that wouldn't have been your approach, ask the reasons why they got there rather than just tell them why you wouldn't have done it that way. Because there could very well be a reason they got there that you wouldn't have thought of or something happened because Your frontline managers, as you basically put in your question, are the most important people in your company, regardless of your company, right? I used to say this in my orientation where, you know, restaurants, mom and pop restaurants operate on their own. There's somebody who operates as HR and somebody who operates as accounting, but you're on your own. You're doing it everything, right? And so as you grow you create the need for a support center. So I don't have a job if you aren't doing yours. And if you forget that, you're you're backwards in, and you're maybe inflating your sense of need at the company or your sense of why you're at the company to serve them. And that doesn't mean you have to let them steamroll you or anything, right? People are right, people are wrong, people can learn and develop. But if you don't treat your frontline managers like they're the most important people, you might get stuck doing it yourself, which might not be what you want, right? No yeah. job is beneath you, especially not your frontline managers, because again, it's it's your job is on the backs of them. You touched on orientation there. And I mean, I've all often thought that induction programs, regardless of the industry, the sector, the business, can often be sort of wasted opportunities to really engage, get to know, impart culture and values. Just explain how you approached orientation. I've facilitated orientations in just about every company I've worked for in my adult life. So I've done the all-day extravaganzas. I've done one-hour orientations. My approach is this is a sales pitch for why you've made the right decision joining our company, right? If you can capture them on day one and get them really excited and get them buying into the mission and your company's values and your company's vision, and then paint a real picture of what life at the company is like, that will make a huge impact, especially they'll come on their first day or whatever shift after that with such energy and excitement. And then it's up to whoever's leading them to keep up that momentum. But I think a lot of times employers, particularly in the hiring process and the onboarding process, forget that it's a two-way decision, right? Yes, I'm offering you a job and I'm interviewing you to see if you're a good fit. 
But at the same time, as as the interviewee, I'm also making a decision and interviewing you, right? And I think that a lot of times both parties forget that. And so we don't want to forget the shift of power, for lack of better term, right? We've made the offer. They've accepted. And now we have to build that value so that they don't leave. The cost of turnover is high. I don't, I'm not teaching you anything knowing that, right? Much cheaper and more efficient to retain a team member. And your first day says it all. And I'll say that both ways. The company has to show very well their first day because it probably won't get better or easier than that for the employee. And on the other side, the employee never behaves better than they do on their first day. (laughs) So it's a great indicator of will this work? And so helping them put their guard down of you've made this great decision and really thinking of it as a sales pitch of, hey, you've joined this great company and here's all the things you're going to get. Here are all the things you can do. Here are all the growth opportunities. They're going to feel invested from day one. They will benefit from your energy and you loving the company, right? And also don't be afraid to be honest too. You know, at a certain orientation, I would tell people, you know, hey, we're operating like a startup right now. And if you don't find joy in a hard day's work and rolling up your sleeves and getting stuff done, this may not be the fit for you. Mm-hmm. And people really appreciate that because there are people out there who want to operate in a system where everything's laid out and they just have to maintain and do their job. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there are a group of special people who really find joy in creating those systems. But that's a harder job. And if you're not ready to do it, and acknowledge that like not every day is going to be fun here, you're going to have them join and be disappointed later to find that out. Nobody ever left after I said that, right? So it's not like that was a make or break for anybody, but it was honest. And I think people really latch onto that. And even from there, that's also how I gain connection because by meeting everybody I'm going to interact with as a trainer, I now already have an idea of what makes you tick. Let's move on to where you are now at Medley. Sure. And, and researching this business, it's, I didn't realize how young it is. So 2017, is that right? Correct. When this business was established and really shaking up, revolutionizing, I would imagine, the, you know, the pharmaceutical delivering prescription drugs, you know, it's been a way, the same way for a long time. This organization is, is changing the game. Can you tell us a little bit about Medley and your role within it? Sure. So Medley is a digital pharmacy that focuses on same-day or next-day delivery. And exactly what you said, it's a really old profession, pharmacy. And it's one that has very much dragged its heels when it comes to progress and getting into the digital age. And so what Medley's doing is really getting ahead of that and changing the game, like you said, right? And so we're very young, but we're expanding very quickly. My role there is the delivery trainer. So I am in charge of training for the delivery department specifically. So that will range from the delivery managers to the in-pharmacy delivery team, people who create the routes and pick the routes and organize the, the shipments and things like that, and also the drivers themselves. So our drivers wow. are a part of our team. Would you say the drivers are the hardest audience you have to reach in terms of feeling and being the remotest, if that's a word? 
they are the most interesting challenge of a group of employees that I've ever had to take. And I'm really enjoying the challenge. Wow. Because entry-level team members are my bread and butter. I know how to connect with your barista, your retail cashier. I've figured that out, right? But they're in the, they're actually in the store. (laughs) So if I have to tell you something, I can just do that, right? With our drivers, yeah, they pop into the pharmacy to pick up their roots, but then they're on their own, right? And this is not a population who checks email a lot. This is not a population who really wants to be spoken to, right? They're really enjoying this independence. And one of the things we actually talk about in their orientation and training is pros and cons of being W-2 versus 1099, right? You're not an independent contractor at Medley. You are an actual member of our team. And so with that, as opposed to, you know, a rideshare driver, you get benefits, you get paid time off, you get all of those things as a driver, but you still have the same kind of independence. You're in your car, you can listen to whatever you want, you can be on your own, right? So we tend to capture them really well on their first day, but because they're in and out too, I think the the managers have a hard time connecting with them as well. And so the hurdle we're trying to overcome now is the approach to who is the best person to focus on? Is it their manager to help them be more engaged and lower the turnover? Because there's a natural turnover with drivers and entry-level work. Or how do we reach these drivers? We're kind of in the middle of figuring that out. It's, it's, a, it's a puzzle in progress, but it's, it's a really interesting challenge. And the person on my team was a driver for a while before becoming a trainer so that he can use his experience as a driver and I can use my experience as a corporate trainer and we can really marry that together for something really great. So a couple things, you know, you could send them a survey. Well, we can't get them to check their email. Maybe there's an automated message with our, you know, clocking system or something like that. So we're still in that phase. I'm still fairly new at at this company. It's been it's been a challenge because they're so in and out. They're hard to reach. And there isn't a formula for who wants these jobs either. Ah. Oh. It's similar to like my experience in the restaurant where you're usually working towards something else, right? You don't necessarily aspire to entry level work. So my approach as a manager has always been, why are you here? Are you working towards something else? Are you in school or are you looking for a growth opportunity? And where I'm going with this ongoing puzzle is helping the leaders figure that out so that they can cater their response to their drivers rather than have it be systemic because it's looking like this is best, this is best solved locally versus my coming in and figuring it out. I love your approach because what I can hear a lot of people doing in your situation is jumping straight to what's the media solution? Is it a podcast? Is it an app? Is it Yammer? And missing the point completely in that none of that is going to work unless you understand the mentality, the mindset, the motivation of these particular people, unless you're actually looking at them and thinking, are they all the same? Clearly not. They're very different. How do we segment them? Who's the biggest influencer on this group? 
it's a much more nuanced, it's a, it takes longer the way you're talking about it. But at the end of the day, you're going to reach a much deeper understanding of who these people really are and how to have a proper conversation with them. So they're here, we're hiring them, right? We can afford the time to really figure this out the right way. Because the other thing is, you know, yeah, we could have our driver trainer go on ride-alongs, which is something that I'm really for and we're about to maybe test. But on the other side, if you're a driver and somebody shows up with a clipboard with like an assessment, <laughs> you're not going to feel comfortable. You're not going to open up to that person. And even still, even if they don't show up with the clipboard, right, because that's obviously thrown out the window very quickly upon that, right, that going down that road of how will this go? In the event that this trainer ends up giving feedback to their manager that's not so good and they go, right, and even eventually, now they're afraid that he shows up. And so even that's not necessarily the attention might not even be the answer. And so that's where this puzzle is really interesting. And it's funny you mention a podcast because that is something we've talked about because you're in your car, right? So if we have you download this podcast, maybe that's a way we can reach you, but that's still only one way. I want to know why you're here and, and what we can do to help. We have been talking in this conversation a lot about entry-level employees or those employees who are doing a job that is potentially supporting their love of something else or their desire to do something else or what we would call in the UK, and I know this is not true for your drivers because they're fully employed by Medley, but what we have in the UK and probably you have in the States is a lot of gig workers. Or if they're not gig workers, they're doing tours of duty. So they're going to spend a year here, two years here, keep moving on. What's your instinct about whether you can really, at the end of the day, make these employees care about the goal, the mission, the culture, the raison d'etre, for want of a better word, of the organisation? Is it possible to, to make or encourage people to care that much when they're doing that kind of work? I think it truly depends on the person. You know, one of the coolest things, and I use that word very mindfully, The coolest thing a manager ever said to me when I was a server not caring about where I worked was, I want to help you reach your goals, but when you're here, you need to give me 100%. That's all Mm. I ask. When you leave here, I don't care what you do, and I'll help you in whatever way I can, but you just need to give me 100%, and that's it, right? And to him, 100% meant show up on time, be nice, do your work, give good service, right? Do the job. Mm. So I think it's it's not a one-size-fits-all answer. I think the key is get to know your people and find the ones who can care. The ones who can care or might care anyway don't necessarily want to grow with the company, which obviously is mm. a goal for any company, right? Internal development is efficient and wonderful, right? for a lot of reasons, but identifying those people who do care and really fostering that and then finding a language to reach your team the way my manager did that makes them feel heard. You know, if I'm standing at a beauty counter in a department store, like I did my first job in New York City, and I had to call out for whatever reason, and you're trying to get me to believe that this is the most important thing in my life, You've lost everything with me, 
I am not going to believe you, trust you. I know that you're full of it. And so you have to know why your entry-level team is working. And that doesn't have to be super deep. It can be as little as this person wants to grow, this person doesn't, and then figure out your approach for both kinds of people. You're making a great argument for quite a sophisticated understanding of your audience from a segmentation point of view and not the segmentation that we usually say, which is hierarchy, job role, but much more around mindset, much more around motivation. I know it's super simple and I don't claim and I won't claim in this podcast or any podcast that I'm you know, revolutionizing anything. I don't think I'm saying anything that people don't know. I just think that we forget what it's like to be in that position a lot of times. Or in some cases, maybe you've never been in that position. Maybe you went to school for executive leadership and you never had to work entry level. And God bless you, you know. Um, (laughs) But, and you can even put it in a different way of, and I'm not relating entry level team members to children. But what I do mean is, you know, you've got adults and parents who forget what it's like to be children. So then when your three-year-old is throwing a fit, they don't understand why, because they're putting their adult perspective on their emotions. When really, you know, I'm trying to put on my shoes myself and my parents are getting frustrated with me and I'm just trying to put on my shoes and I want to be a big kid and do that. And my, you know, my parents are insisting on doing themselves. I'm very upset, right? And if you forget what it's like to have that be your point of view, you're not going to connect. You're not going to get Mm. that. You're not going to be able to efficiently communicate because there will be that barrier. There'll be a wall. And we should say here, I think, and I'm just, you know, reflecting on my experience of spending time with customer facing people across different industries over the years. One thing, and I did a focus group literally a couple of days ago with some travel agents corporate travel agents, the thing that does tend to unite people in those roles is the love of really delivering a great service to the customer. There does seem to be a real joy in that connection with the customer, which sometimes I think we can potentially forget at a senior level while we're giving them instructions and commands. I don't know if you've seen that as well. Sure. I also think being able, as a, as a manager, being able to articulate a mission in a way that can connect with your team members can be really helpful. Now, that's much easier at Medley than it is at a bakery, right? Because we're actually helping people in a, in a basic way of, I'm bringing people their medication, especially at a time when they may not be able to pick it up themselves. So yes. there's a lot of joy in doing good that way, right? But if you're working in, you know, my other industry has been food. The way I used to say it is, you know, you you could be making somebody's day, right? Like think about a time when you had a rough week and you saved up your pennies to get that really special lemon tart that you love so much. And then you get there and the person's rude to you or isn't nice at all, you know, or just is serviceable, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Ruins the experience and the anticipation of that lemon tart, right? And and how many times I've 
you know, ended up as a man restaurant manager talking to someone who was alone and finding out that, you know, they're a widow and they don't really have anybody to talk to. And, you know, so there is a lot of good to be done in the restaurant industry too, but it takes a little digging to sell that dream to people because again, I could make coffee at home. I can, you know, make my own muffins. I can do all of that at home. And so, yeah, you can easily resent somebody who comes in and yells at you because their flat white is wrong, you know, <laughs> which happens, but you don't know what happened to them either. And so your job is to make their day a little brighter, a little better, whether you've, you're the one who succeeds or you're the one who moves the needle, you're still helping them. And so if you're able to articulate that and sell that dream too, that can really help get your entry-level team members on board. I love the way that you're humanizing what can sometimes be quite dry corporate vision statements or mission statements. You're bringing it down to a really tangible, you know, you can feel the emotion in the stories that you're talking about and they, they're, they're so real so I guess that's a, such an important part of our job is actually turning something quite dry and high level into an everyday experience that people can relate to, I guess. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I Again, I don't feel like I'm doing anything special, but I guess I don't know anything else than being myself. So the question why is very important. And if you haven't watched that TED Talk of Simon Sinek, I think. Yes, yeah, Simon Sinek. Yeah. yeah, talking about why. I highly recommend it. It's easy to find on YouTube or, or wherever because it does really inform not only your own why, but if you're managing people, understanding why someone's doing something can help you change your approach, which goes back to that theater background of, you know, why might somebody do that? And that doesn't mean you have to be everybody's psychologist. I know that I put a lot of that in there, but it does help for sure. We'll make sure a link is is to Simon Sinek's TED Talk because it is yes, it's it's iconic, I suppose. Absolutely. now, isn't it really? That let's talk a little bit about training materials. And I asked this question because, again, on behalf of listeners who might be thinking about going back to line managers in particular, how we can best train support line managers in their communication role as local leaders. I speak to clients who are often trying to develop these kinds of training materials and training programs. How do you approach designing any kind of training? Are there any sort of hints or tips you can share with us? There's a couple things. In terms of media, I like to mix it up, right? If you're just sitting there reading something, even at a manager level, you might zone out, you might start not paying so much attention or it gets boring, right? And so if it's boring, it may not connect. So I like to switch it up in a way where there's a video, there's something to listen to, there's something to click on, right? Learning management systems are very good for that. And so if you don't have one, I highly recommend it, but they do cost and that's an investment. But in my opinion, it's, I've worked at companies where we didn't have one and I'm working at one now that has one and it is so much easier to build exciting content when you have something like that. So highly recommend. Use color, use ways to make it pop the way a magazine needs to, right? You need different things to pull your attention and show you different ways, even if it's different ways to say the same thing, because again, different people will connect to different ways of saying something. 
The other big thing I like to use a lot is humor. Why is Neil deGrasse Tyson so famous, right? He is a physicist. That should be very boring. We shouldn't know who he is. We shouldn't, I mean, we probably should know who he is and should care, but we do, but why, right? And it's because he's so funny. He brings, and he'll talk about that. He brings humor into learning in a way that makes those deep questions he brings up fun, right? Mm-hmm. And so don't be so dry. Don't feel like even if the material should be serious, find a way to get them to laugh because it brings down their guard. It helps them connect, right? We connect through humor and fun and light. I'll use an example. In my interview process for Medley, they had me do a case study where, because they wanted to see my work and, you know, that made total sense. And I had a lot of fun with it. And so the, the project was build a training program to teach your mom how to use Twitter. <laughs> now, <laughs> which was great, but also funny. My mom's a computer science professor, so not, oh, no. <laughs> not my mom, but someone's mom. <laughs> I decided to, hey, if I'm going to get this job, let them see me, who I am. I got, you know, and a lot of times I'll stifle some of my own creativity because of the corporate environment and what people expect for the approver, right? I said, you know what, if I'm going to get it, if I'm going to explore another job, let, let's do it my way, Right. And if it works out, great. And if it doesn't, whatever, I I have a great job already, which is kind of what that happened. I liked Paris Baguette a lot, but I saw this new opportunity in a new industry, right? And so I called the unit Twitter for mummies, right? A play on Twitter for dummies, it's moms, it's things like that. And then I threw in things like, and this is what this is, and I can't even believe I'm explaining this to you, mom, you know, like things like that to just bring people's guard down. And Luckily for me, they really took to that. So I've been able to really foster that humor through my training materials with this new company. And the feedback has been good because, again, you have to reach a lot of different audiences. The managers are going to take the same training as the new hires, at least for the base knowledge. Because I lo- And I like that approach because your managers should know what your teams are learning. And if it's good for them, it'll be good for your managers, too. But the challenge then is you're dealing with two different levels of audiences. And so you want to make sure it speaks Mm. to both. You know, that humor really helps. Throwing in a gif, right, of, you know, Michael Scott giving a thumbs up or something like that. So it just, it makes him feel like, you know, I'm not just a trainer. I'm a cool trainer. I don't know. (laughs) I like it. Don't forget to just have a little fun with it because that's what people will connect with. This might be quite a hard question to answer, but I'm ruminating on the fact that Medley is so young. And at the moment, I'm hearing quite a lot from people in the comms world saying that younger startups are able to look at the whole employee experience, the employee journey, culture, values, all of those things differently in a faster, more nimble, more agile, more collaborative way. And that's something that much more stayed and larger organizations with a lot more heritage, maybe a history of sort of silo working. I don't know whether you've got any reflection on whether you've seen those two dynamics and whether it's true of newer, younger, more youthful companies that they are able to solve problems in a slightly different way. It might be a very hard question to answer. What I'll say is, you know, there's been a big generational shift 
of what it means to work. So my parents' generation was, you get a job and you work it, and we don't really care if you like it. When you come home, you're home, and when you're at work, you're at work. But my generation has grown up, you know, I'm a millennial. Sorry, everybody. And uh, I, <laughs> I, I grew up, you know, not necessarily my parents. They were always, you know, self-employed entrepreneurs. But they, you know, you see a lot of people kind of like not care about their jobs or not feeling very passionate. And we were kind of taught like live your dreams, right? And so I think yes. a lot of people in my generation and age cohort are looking to make an impact, right? You hear that a lot. And so I think that you're getting a lot of new perspective on collaboration. I'm finding that with Medley, and collaboration is one of the core values for Medley, so this is nice, but collaborating is really easy there. Even though like it's a larger company than I'm used to with a lot of people I don't know and a lot of different kind of departments I've never had to interact with, like product, right? Te technology and apps and things like that has never been something I've had to really deal with. There's no ego. If I have to ask you to, you know, hey, can you work on this with me? You know, and I've never met you before. It's always met with kindness and, and let's do it and let's get this done. And so I can't necessarily identify if that's like young company culture but in my experience, that's true, what mm. you're saying. The majority of workers at this point are millennials, and we want to make an impact, which means that we have to work together toward a common goal. But it's also making me think, if we don't do it that way, if we don't collaborate on the solutions, then are they less likely to be successful, less likely to be adopted and embedded? Is the flip side of that that actually... I would like to be involved. I'd like to participate. I'd like to be asked for my views. Absolutely. Yeah. I know that my work love language is being included. I learn by watching and I learn by, because I'm able to then internalize what I like about this, what I don't like about this, what are my thoughts on this. And that's how I really have learned and grown through my career. And I find that to be very true for people who are interested in growth. So again, this isn't a technique you want to use with everybody. But one technique I use that I haven't mentioned yet is even as a corporate trainer, I utilize the frontline managers as feedback. So if I'm writing yes. a new training, yes, of course, I send it to my team and my, my supervisor, but I send it to them too. Hey, is this helpful for you, for your team? Is there anything I'm missing and they feel good about that because they're feeling like they're making that impact in a way that regardless of the truth of this, when you're a day-to-day -day manager, you don't really feel your impact on the company, mm. right? Mm. You're, you're kind of just doing it, even though you're the most important part and the only reason why the company exists, you're removed from the innovation part of it. And a lot of times you're removed from the opinion piece and, and the feedback loop and all of that. So by bringing your frontline managers in on that, and again, you want to choose very wisely who you're doing this with, it really helps with that collaboration and it helps with that internal growth and development, your morale, things like that, because we're all in this together. And why wouldn't you ask your line managers what they think 
about whatever you're working on. When you say you want to select them carefully, are you looking for any particular traits or attitudes in your selection process? Absolutely. I'm looking for people who will take the feedback seriously. I'm looking for people who would like being included. I think that's a really important part. And of course, people who aren't too busy because I wouldn't want them feeling like, as much as I don't see myself as somebody corporate, I can't control how they perceive me. And so I'm very mindful of the fact that if I'm asking you to look this over, and of course I'll say like, when you get a second, this isn't urgent, when you can, um, at your leisure, all of those things, they still, depending on who it is, may perceive that as somebody from corporate's asking me to do this, drop what you're doing and do it. And I wouldn't want that. And of course, I'll loop in their supervisors to make sure they know I'm doing this and things like that. But so you don't want them to be too busy. You want to make sure that you know them and you respect their working style, their opinion, things like that. And you also want to make sure that it's not somebody who's just going to yes you too. Because again, right. somebody from corporate is asking your opinion. You do get people who are afraid to say, no, I wouldn't do it this way. Yeah, very good point. Are you happy to go on to those quick fire questions? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. So if you could go back in time, what careers advice would you give your younger self? Sure. Oh, nice. Two things. One, a career change doesn't mean failure. And more people do it than you'd ever consider. And don't downplay your alternative and untraditional experience and point of view, because that's what makes you special and what helps you bring something new to the table. I like it. How would you complete this sentence? World-class communication is... Clear, concise, and a little funny. <laughs> I like it. Is there a book, a report, a film even that we should all read to better understand how to communicate effectively? This is a tricky one. Part of me is like, watch the American office and determine what works and what doesn't. I think that that's a really good... Uh, but. The serious answer, I suppose, and this isn't so much about communication, it's like more self-drive, is the book 12-Week Year. And it's about Ooh. how to set goals for yourself and how to achieve them. So thinking of your throwing out the annual KPI review process and thinking of it in 12 weeks. And basically, it breaks down how to set a goal Ooh. and how to get there in a very like metric-based way. It's a really simple book, easy to read, very repetitive because it's meant to teach you. But it's been really helpful to me in not so much in the community. Well, it helps me with communication up the chain. But I think that if you understand how to set a goal and figure out how to get there, you'll do it if that makes sense. Oh, I like it. It does. So the 12-week year written by Brian P. Moran, I believe. Correct. And we will put the link yes. in the show notes. Thank you. Of and then finally, you get a billboard for millions to see. And you can put on that billboard anything you like. 
any message, any image, whatever, what are you going to put on your billboard? Big block letters, empathy. I don't think you're surprised by that. I just, I, I firmly believe that if you can connect and put yourself in somebody else's shoes, you will get somewhere with them. And that's good message for the world right now, right? You know, we're so, everybody's saying this, we're so divided, but we are. And I think that there's what we're missing now that we weren't even 20 years ago is the idea that like, how did you get there? How are you, and I don't care what you're thinking about and what side of whatever you're on. It's just like, how did you get there? What, what What brought you to think that way? And getting into somebody's brain that way and like having some empathy of like why they may think that way doesn't necessarily, you know, explanations are not necessarily excuses, right? Why somebody, you know, a serial killer probably went through some pretty terrible trauma. That doesn't mean I feel bad for them, but it does mean I understand maybe how they got there. And that's an extreme example. But if you can really empathize with your people, with your team, with whomever you're trying to communicate with, you'll connect with them more than you would if you didn't. I love that. Explanations are not necessarily excuses. Understanding not just what someone thinks, but why they got to where they are in thinking that thought. Wow. Lily, this has been such an enjoyable conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really enjoyed myself as well. So that brings to a close this episode of the Internal Comms podcast. For the show notes and the full transcript, head over to our website. That's abcomabcowm.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Listeners, thank you so much for choosing this show. Downloads have suddenly doubled this year. So whether you are a long-term listener or a newbie, just checking us out for the first time, we are here to serve. Please do get in touch. You can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, or via AB's website. Tell me what you want more of, what you want less of, suggest potential guests for my hot seat, We genuinely want this show to be your helpful ally in your pursuit of comms excellence. If you could give us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be lovely, as it does help other IC pros find our show. We now take a break for the summer, but we'll be right back in September 2022 with Season 8, Episode 66. Oh my... So please do hit that subscribe button today. Finally, thank you to my producer, John Phillips, our sound engineer, Stuart Rolls, and my wonderful, talented colleagues at AB. All of you keep the show on the road and a heartfelt thank you to each one. So until we meet again, lovely listeners, I wish you a wonderful summer. Stay safe and well. And remember, it's what's inside that counts.